the Witch of the Woods, the leader of the Vanir, the Queen of the Valkyries. The God of War games gave Freya, the Nordic goddess of love and nature, one hell of a backstory. But if you're like me, you can't help wondering how much of it was based on real Norse mythology and how much came from the minds of the developers at Santa Monica Studios. Well, you're in luck, because that's the exact riddle that we're going to solve in this episode of the Messed Up Origins podcast, sponsored by Squarespace. I've gone through the game's lore and our old Norse resources with the finest toothed comb on this side of the Mississippi, and what I found will give you a whole new level of appreciation for both versions. Because not only did Corey Barlog, Eric Williams, and the rest of the team seamlessly weave their own narrative about family conflict and embracing change into these thousand-year-old stories, but those stories are notorious for leaving experts with a ton of questions, and Santa Monica Studios found a ton of creative ways to answer those questions. One such question is whether or not Freya is the same figure as the other most prominent goddess in the Nordic pantheon, Frigg, Odin's wife. In order to understand why that question is even being asked, though, I've got to properly introduce you to Freya. Or should I say Freya, since that's closer to how her name was actually pronounced. Here's what we're going to do. When I say Freya, I mean the video game version, and Freya is the real Norse goddess. If I didn't establish that now, this whole episode would be a lot more confusing than it's already going to be. Chapter 1. First comes war, then comes marriage. So a little about Freya. The Nords associated her with love, beauty, fertility, a form of magic called Seether, which Freya also uses in the game, and war. She rides on a chariot pulled by two cats, which I choose to believe are named Daniel and Leroy, is a fan of love songs, no, I'm not joking, and is often shown wearing a dazzling necklace called Brzingamen. One thing that makes Freya different than most of the Norse deities we've talked about on the show is she was originally a Vanir goddess. For those who don't know, the Norse pantheon was made up of two different kinds of gods, the Vanir and the Aesir. There really isn't much difference between them, but in our old Norse resources, the Vanir are more nature-oriented, while the Aesir are described as militant and orderly though there are exceptions on both sides. The reason this is important is because of the Aesir-Vanir War. Before the godly tribes had come together to form a single pantheon for us Midgardians to worship, they waged a series of battles against each other, only to find that they were pretty evenly matched. Exhausted from fighting and with no end to the war in sight, the tribes came together and agreed to a peace treaty in the form of a hostage exchange. The Aesir would send two of their wisest members, Honir and Mimir, to Vanaheim, while the Vanir sent Freya, her brother Freyr, and her father Njordr over to Asgard. For those wondering about her mother, she's never mentioned, though some believe she's the goddess Nerthus. God of War took a similar approach with her family. Only in their universe, Nerthus was killed during the war by Thor's sons, Magni and Modi. Then Mimir brokered a peace between the warring tribes by proposing a marriage between Freya and Odin. One distinct and depressing difference with this version, though, is that her father and brother remain in Vanaheim and misinterpret Freya's marriage to Odin as a betrayal against her people. Anyway, that exchange is how Freya became an honorary member of the Aesir after which she married a god named Ulther, and they had two daughters, Gersimi and Nos, who's described as so beautiful that the Old Norse words for treasure and jewel come from her name. We don't know much about Ulther because he's rarely mentioned in the texts, but the things that we do know bear a strong resemblance to Odin. For instance, Ulther's name can be translated to mean mad, and there's no denying that Odin is a mad god, 
The dude literally offed himself for a week to get some extra wisdom. Also, the Prozetta says that when Uther goes far away, that Freya cries tears of red gold for him. And wandering away from home is one of Odin's favorite hobbies. I'm telling you, that dude loves nothing more than to dress up like an old man and slink around the Nine Realms causing trouble. Let's just say that Freya wasn't married to Odin, though. She did still have a partnership with him. They each claimed ownership over half the souls of warriors who died in battle, and Freya always got first dibs. Ethereal warrior women, known as Valkyries, escorted Odin's chosen dead to his famous hall, Valhalla, and Freyas are brought to a meadow known as Folkvanger, though experts like Jackson Crawford have suggested theories that those are actually the same place. Freya's role as chooser of the slain is one of the many reasons that experts believe her to be a Valkyrie. There's also the matter of her falcon suit, a feather cloak which gives her the ability to fly. Loki borrows the cloak in the famous Thrymskvitha poem where Thor's hammer is stolen by giants and the Aesir plan a heist where the god of thunder dresses up like Freya and agrees to marry the giant who stole it. The Valkyries were also described as owning feathered cloaks. And if you've been tuning into the Messed Up Origins podcast these past few weeks, you know that these cloaks were often stolen by men who wanted to marry the maidens, which is basically the opposite of what Odin did in the game. Freya became Valkyrie queen after marrying him, and when they divorced, he hid her wings. There's also a poem in the Poetic Edda that gives strong Valkyrie vibes, and believe it or not, it's a poem we've never talked about before. It's called Hindelsljolf, right? Hindelsljolf, or it's Song of Hindla. That's what it's called in English. The poem follows Freya as she wakes up a vulva, a witch, named Hindla, so they can ride together towards Valhalla. Freya's secret agenda is to learn about the ancestry of a human warrior named Otar, who'd made many sacrifices to the goddess requesting help. She disguises Otar as her loyal companion, a boar named Hildisfini, who we accidentally shoot in the first God of War and then go on to formally meet in Ragnarok. Freya rides the fake Hildisfini alongside Hindla, who's riding a wolf, and asks her a number of questions regarding Otar's lineage so he can eavesdrop on the answers. As far as I can tell though, the witch realizes that the boar is actually Otar and tells him anyway, either out of respect for Freya or out of fear. Either way, I think it's interesting that Freya can just ride to Valhalla whenever she pleases. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure we don't hear about many other gods doing that, so I'm wondering if it's an exclusive club for her, Odin, and the Valkyries. Not all stories about Freya paint her in such a flattering light, though. Chapter 2. Any sexy stories? Now, I don't want to disappoint the Freya fans watching, but a lot of the myths that she's featured in portray her as what I like to call a loose goose. Almost every time she's mentioned, someone's either requesting her hand in marriage or throwing one of her past relationships in her face. And it sounds like there's been a lot of them. Granted, it's not her fault that so many giants wanted to marry her. There was the one who stole Thor's hammer, the other who challenged Thor to a duel, and another one who offered to build new walls for Asgard if he could take Freya, the sun, and the moon back with him to Jotunheim. But remember how I mentioned her necklace, Brisingamen? Yeah, the story of how she got it might make you see Freya in a whole new light. In the saga of Olaf Tryggvason, which describes the life of a 10th century Norwegian king, we're told that Freya was a concubine to Odin and one day found four dwarves who were skilled in craftsmanship. She saw them making a beautiful necklace and offered to buy it from them 
the dwarf said they'd only sell it if they could each spend a night with her, and she agreed. Loki goes on to rat her out to Odin, so Odin has Loki steal the necklace, then tells Freya that she can only get it back if she makes two kings fight, die, and rise again so they fight endlessly until a true Christian defeats them. Wait, what? True Christian? Why would Odin give a single Sleipnir shit about a true Christian? It turns out he didn't. This saga was actually transcribed by Christian monks, and if you're a longtime viewer of the show, you know that transcribers and translators have never been able to stop themselves from putting their own ideological spin on what they produce. The leaders of the Christian cult were not fans of empowering women and likely wanted to tarnish the way the world viewed a strong goddess like Freya. As a result, most Norse experts consider this portrayal of Freya as an inauthentic smear campaign. But you might recall another myth about Freya's necklace being stolen by Loki. Yeah, either this story and the Christian propaganda are connected somehow, or Loki just really wanted that necklace. In a poem called Hustrapa, Freya wakes up to find her necklace is missing and recruits Heimdall to help her track it down. We only have fragments of the poem, so I'm sad to say we don't know all the juicy details about their investigation, but the poem does say that Heimdall and Loki fought in the form of seals, that Heimdall won, and that he returned the necklace to Freya. Look, I think the boss fight against Heimdall was pretty fucking awesome, but could you imagine, just for a second, if they decided to incorporate the seal fight somehow? Yes, they might have had to design completely new seal physics, but I'm just saying. Missed opportunity, man. Now I'm willing to admit that the stories I've shared with you so far aren't that saucy. The giant's obsession with Freya is just because she's really hot, and the story with the dwarves, well, even if it is true, at least they weren't at the same time. The accusations against Freya get a lot more intense in a poem called Locasena, which you can think of as Loki's roast of the gods. The trickster gets absolutely belligerent at dinner and straight up murders one of the waiters in front of everybody, so the gods kick him out only for him to return moments later and spill all the tea. But this wasn't just any tea, it was tea mixed with venom, bleach, and a little bit of piss. He wanted to embarrass everyone at that feast as much as he embarrassed himself, and after he and Odin went back and forth, calling each other sissies and man whores, Odin's wife Frigg stepped in to say that the past should stay in the past, to which Loki responds by calling her a skank. Upon hearing that, Freya steps in. Evidently, she's separate from Frigg in this telling, or the change in the name that she's called reflects her embodying different aspects of her godliness. She tells Loki that he's crazy to make an enemy out of Frigg because she knows everyone's fates, and Loki accuses Freya of playing the whore with every god and every elf who sits in this hall. Loki goes so far as to bring up the time Freya was caught sleeping with her brother, and as if that wasn't bad enough, he also says that the moment they busted her, she farted. It's up to you if you want to believe it or not, but I'm leaning towards it being true because after that, Freya's father steps in and says that sleeping with your sibling isn't as shameful as Loki's sissy behavior. Loki has a response for everyone though. He says, Shut up, Njorth. The only reason you're saying that is because she's the product of you sleeping with your sister. So I guess incest runs in the family. If you want to know where the rest of the poem goes, watch my video on Tear. Then Heimdall, then Sif, then Thor. At this point, we've practically covered the whole thing. It's just broken into small chunks. But as fun as it is to discuss the sexual escapades of the Almighty, those aren't the stories they chose to utilize in God of War. There was no circle button minigame with Freya. Instead, they incorporated the myth of Frigg's son Baldur and his death by mistletoe, a plant that she never expected could be capable of such evil.
Chapter 3, Freya versus Frigg and the Death of Baldur. In real Norse mythology and God of War, the countdown to Ragnarok begins after the death of Baldur, who is actually Frigg's son in myth, but in the game, he's Freya's son, one of the few positives that came out of her marriage to Odin. In myth, Baldur's death is prophesized by his own dreams and then by a witch that Odin reaches out to for answers. And in a desperate attempt to save her beloved boy, Frigg traveled across the nine realms extracting promises from everything that it wouldn't hurt her son. And by everything, I mean everything. Animals, weapons, kings, and even rocks. The only thing she didn't take an oath from was mistletoe because she thought it was too young. When Loki found out that Baldur still had a weakness, he didn't let this information go unused. He fashioned a dart made out of mistletoe and tricked Baldur's blind brother Hod into throwing it. In the instant the dart pierced his chest, Baldur fell to the ground dead. His story in the game goes down a bit differently. Freya learns from the Norns' prophecy that Baldur is going to die a needless death, so she places a spell on him that makes him invulnerable to pain and injury. The downside is it also made him numb to every other sensation, and over time that lack of feeling drove him insane. Following the theme of accidental mistletoe impalement, at the end of the first game, Baldur punches Atreus, or should I say Loki, in the chest, and the mistletoe arrow that was keeping his quiver together pierces Baldur's hand, breaking the curse and allowing him to feel once more. He's pretty happy about this development, but is still pissed at Freya for the life she deprived him of and refuses to let the past die. Instead, he wants his mother to die which Kratos can't let happen, so he breaks Baldur's neck, and mere moments later, Fimblewinter begins. The death of her son leaves Freya broken and angry. She spends the first act of the next game trying to take revenge on Kratos for his crime of saving her life, but he refuses to fight back, and ultimately she sees that he's not her true enemy. Odin is, and together they take the revenge against the Allfather during Ragnarok. Now, some people might be confused about why exactly the developers chose to give Freya a story that originally came from a myth about Frigg, so I thought this would be the best time to fully answer the question we've been edging up against this whole time, were Freya and Frigg the same goddess? According to the God of War games, the answer is yes, and the confusion surrounding the two identities is a byproduct of Odin's manipulation and lies. In this case, Frigg was actually the pet name he had given her while they were married. It means love. Sounds endearing at first, but when Odin let it slip that he was a psychotic control freak who wanted to use Freya's seether magic to try and survive Ragnarok, she decided to leave him, which he took real personally and made sure that going forward, Frigg was the one credited with all of Freya's accomplishments. This caused beings across all the Nine Realms to think that Freya was nothing more than Odin's side piece who never did anything good for anybody, while his mysterious, never-seen-by-anyone wife, Frigg, was deserving of all their praise and gratitude. I think it's a pretty genius way of working in real-world theories about them being the same goddess, but what evidence are those theories based on? Well, let's continue following this theme of names. Frigg and Freya come from two different root words, meaning love and lady. So it's possible that at one point she was called Freya Frigg, or Lady Love, and Freya was just a title. Furthermore, the Prozetta specifically says that it's from Freya's name that women of birth and wealth are given the title Frur, which means lady 
comparable to Fru in Icelandic and Frau in German. The same rule applies to her brother's name. Freyr is just the masculine form of Freya, so his name means lord, while hers means lady. And to echo what we covered earlier about her husband Othar more than likely being Odin, the section that mentions her marriage to him and his constant wandering says Freya goes by different names when she travels to other realms in search of him. Those names include Madol, Horn, Geffen, and Seer. Now I don't speak Old Norse, so I can't tell you what those names mean, but I find it interesting that she's known by different names in different nations, as the Edda puts it. It just reaffirms to me that her name totally could have flip-flopped between Frigg and Freya, depending on the context. Then there's the whole issue with Frigg's family tree. She doesn't have one. We know she's married to Odin and that Baldur is her son, but when it comes to her birth family, we've got Guse. Meanwhile, the opposite is true about Freya. We know exactly who her father and brother are, as well as the domains they were associated with, but her husband Othar is a total mystery man, and all we can say for sure about her daughter Nos is that she was pretty. The fact that we're better informed about opposing parts of their lives makes it seem to me like they're two sides of the same coin, two pieces to the same puzzle two eyes on the same pug. There's poems like Locusena where they're very clearly two different people because they address each other by name, but it's totally possible that by the time that poem was written down, they had completely split from each other. Maybe in earlier versions of Locusena and the rest of the stories found in the mythos, they were the same. A phrase I say disappointingly often on this show is, we'll never know for sure, but it definitely applies here. In the worlds of folklore and mythology, we kind of just have to accept that there's a limited amount of information. People aren't digging up long lost scrolls every day that radically enlighten us on any of this shit. If you want to know why so little info has survived, there's a lot of factors at play. It's a combination of certain societies, like the Germanic ones not keeping written records of their beliefs, and Christian zealots destroying any and every sacred artifact they could find that didn't conform to their objectively less cool belief system. Those who want to learn more about that should check out Catherine Nixie's The Darkening Age, which I'll include an Amazon affiliate link to in the description. But I'll warn you that it is pretty infuriating to learn how much mythology could have survived if it wasn't for the wanton destruction of Bible-thumping dorks. Can you tell that I'm a little bitter? No offense to modern Christians, of course. If you're not vandalizing religious idols or interrupting my wife's birthday dinner to preach the word of God to us like that one nosy old fuck did, I've got nothing but love for you. And that's possible thanks to the Norse goddess of love, Freya, who you've just learned everything there is to learn about. Just in time for Valentine's Day too. Those of you who are single might want to make a sacrifice to her in the next week or so, or sacrifice to one of the three love goddesses we're talking about next week. For now though, be sure to sacrifice those five star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods if you want more mythology deep dives delivered to your device every week, and then find Messed Up Origins on Twitter and Instagram to share your thoughts about what you learned today or any recommendations you have for future episodes. Thanks again for tuning in, mere mortals. My name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first.